I can have an intention as a coach, and you pointed it out. I have an idea of what I want to do. I know where I want to go. I know what I want to say, and I can do that, and I'll do it kind of in an echo chamber because unless my intentions are bought into and agreed to and altered by the person with whom I'm having a conversation, it doesn't matter what my intention is because I may achieve mine but not achieve theirs. So if you think about kind of different levels of intentional conversations, I have to be very aware of my own motives. What am I trying to achieve? Is that going to be bought in? Have I sold it? Have I got their agreement? Is there a commitment to enter into a conversation? Because any conversation can happen only if two people agree. In her book, Conversational Intelligence, Judith Glasser wrote, to get to the next level of greatness depends on the quality of our culture, which depends on the quality of our relationships, which depends on the quality of our conversations. Everything happens through conversations. Welcome to Conversations, powered by Quantivos. Welcome to Conversations. I'm Brian Gorman, your host, and our guest today is Harris Ginsburg, another coach here at Quantivos. Welcome, Harris. Hi, Brian. Thanks for having me. Harris, our topic today is intentional conversations. But before we get into a conversation about that, tell us a little bit about who Harris Ginsburg is. Now, that's a huge question. I don't want to bore too many people with too many of the details. So I've been doing coaching pretty much about 30 years. I was training for a while in lots of major corporations, um, spent a lot of time teaching. In fact, one of my friends tells me my life is about teaching. Um, I have a PhD in psych. I've worked in academia and I worked in corporate America doing executive development, leadership development, talent management, all those good things. And about six years ago when I left corporate, I really hung out my shingle and began doing a lot more coaching, mostly in the corporate environment. But I had a couple of really fascinating clients in the nonprofit NGO world, uh, which I found fascinating. It wasn't a group that I knew much about and found that I could do an awful lot of coaching and development there. My work is primarily motivated by my belief that people can grow. They can learn, and I really enjoy being on that journey with them and helping stimulate that growth and learning. And clearly, as a coach myself and as our listeners, I'm, I'm sure, are aware from their own experience, part of being on that journey with people is having intentional conversations. Why is this such an important topic to you? So I, I chuckle partly because I wasn't quite sure what we meant by intentional conversations. So I had to figure out what's our intention in doing this. What do we mean? So I started doing kind of a word map to see, well, what comes to mind if I brainstorm with myself? An experience I had years ago doing management development at Chase came to mind where I used to go down there and I would do all my you know learning and give them to put them through classes. And the only thing that really gelled and helped the management team be better at managing their people was when I'd look at them after they gave me a crazy salad of questions and I'd say, well, what are you trying to achieve? And every time I went back, the same question would come up and I would ask them. And one of them, the head of their credit department said to me, you know, that's probably the most impactful question you ask us because it forces us to step back and think about what is our purpose? 
what's our choice? What are we trying to make happen? And when I think back about the notion of intentional conversations, it's knowing in advance what you want to achieve, knowing in advance what you want to learn, knowing in advance what you want to do and with that relationship. And so intentional conversations is all about having choice, recognizing choices, and then picking the ones that seem to benefit you and the people you're working with. I connect with what you're saying and it raises a question for me. Good. Because we each have worked with clients who can only answer what I want to achieve with something very generic. Like, I want to get out of my job because I'm not happy or I'm really not sure what I want. I just know this isn't it. And so as coaches, it becomes incumbent upon us to help sort of clear away the muck. Yep. I mean, whether you're coming at this as a coach or as a manager of people or as a partner relationship, as a parent, it doesn't matter. I mean, having some sense of what's the purpose? What am I trying to accomplish now? I tend to work in the here and now. So what do I want to accomplish now? Then the other thing is to ask yourself, well, how much time and what's my time frame? Because everything is a context. So when you talk about career, it's really weird. So many of my coaching clients end up having career discussions with me. And I ask them that same question you asked. what do you want to do five years from now? And it's fascinating how many people have no idea. So I back it up. How about two years? What about next year? So I try to narrow down the conversation based on where they're comfortable. So my intention is to at least get them to explore, think about, reflect. So my intention in coaching people is to help people reflect. And sometimes I've got to find different ways to get them to do that. I think that's really an important perspective on coaching. And it's why we as coaches and any leader or manager who is attempting to coach the people that they work with, that reflection requires quiet. Yep. It requires deep listening on your part to hear what's being said, what's not being said, what's underneath what's not being said, the context. It requires not coming in with the outcome we want to achieve. It's about not coming in and formulating our questions as the individual we're talking with is still answering the last one. It requires a whole different mindset than most of us um, who have spent any time in corporate life have grown up with. You made me smile because intentional conversations is not just having a conversation that meets my needs as somebody who's entering a conversation or a discussion, but to be successful in having intentional conversations that produce results or to any outcome, you have to make sure that your intention is brought in by the person or people you're talking to. I can have an intention as a coach, and you pointed it out. I have an idea of what I want to do. I know where I want to go. I know what I want to say. And I can do that and I'll do it kind of in an echo chamber because unless my intentions are bought into and agreed to and altered by the person with whom I'm having a conversation, it doesn't matter what my intention is because I may achieve mine but not achieve theirs. So if you think about kind of different levels of intentional conversations, I have to be very aware of my own motives. What am I trying to achieve? Is that going to be bought? Have I sold it? Have I got their agreement? Is there a commitment to enter into a conversation? Because any conversation can happen only if two people agree. And then you're right. Then you look to see to what degree are folks engaged in the conversation. But I think intentional conversations start with what's my purpose? What am I trying to achieve? Then the second thing is, and how am I engaging with my listeners, whether I'm coaching them or managing them or living, whatever, how do I engage with them to participate in that conversation fully? So I've got to listen at all those different levels you've mentioned. Harris, 
as I'm listening to you, what's coming to mind for me is Judith Glasser's model on three levels of conversation. Mm-hmm. And she talks about the first level is tr- uh, transactional. It's data exchange. Yep. Uh, Harris, we're, we're meeting at noon tomorrow. Brian, I can't make a noon meeting. Can you make it 1230? Just basic transactional. The, the second level of conversation is positional. And that's where we find most of our conversations. This is what I want you to do. This is the reason I can't do it. This is the reason why it needs to be done. At best, we try to come up with a, a win-win mm-hmm. situation out of that. The third level is co-creation, transformation. Yep. And as leaders, as managers, as coaches, ideally, that's a more frequent conversation, particularly in the management and leadership ranks, than it is most of the time. What if your client comes in or the person who reports to you comes in and their intention is to have a positional conversation about something that you're asking them to do and they're not interested in doing? How do you have an intentional conversation? So it may be kind of blunt, but if someone is initiating a conversation with a manager that the manager is not ready to have because we can opt in or opt out, they can opt out and explain why. So just because I have an intention to talk to you, Brian, about something I want you to do for me, doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to have that conversation because it takes two to have it. And I tell my clients this and and I work with them that just because someone comes in and wants some information that you don't have or that you're afraid to commit to, you don't have to have that conversation. What you do have to do is at least let them know that you'll have it at another time. So the intentionality is to maintain the relationship, to build the trust and not let the content of the conversation erode that trust. My clients, I often encourage them to talk to their managers about what we talk about. They have goals that we're working on in coaching because a good coaching relationship is a confidential one. I'm not at liberty to share what they're saying. All I can do is encourage them to share what they've committed to. And when I think about intentional conversations, that's a hard one for a lot of clients to have. I do a lot of coaching with them on how do you actually articulate what you're working on, how do you articulate it to gain something? And that's where the intention comes in. What do you want to achieve? Do you want your boss to support you? Do you want them to promote you? Do you want them to give you a resource? Do you want them to pay you more? Do you want them to give you more complex challenges so you can prove how good you are? See, what is your intention? What are you trying to achieve? That's the hardest thing for people to put their finger on because all they want to do is treat it, as you said, like a transaction. I just want to tell them and not have a conversation about it, not a back and forth. I don't want to ask me questions because I just want to tell them what I'm doing and check the box. And I spend a lot of time with my clients helping them recognize there's a lot more you can achieve in that kind of a conversation to build a relationship with your boss, to build greater gravitas in yourself, in your organization, to recognize all kinds of things that you may not have seen before. And that's where a lot of the light bulbs come on, where people think it's about coaching is about their immediate performance today. And all of a sudden they say, but you know, there are consequences to that, which could help or hurt me. And that helps us get at some other intentions and helps them articulate where they're going and what their aspirations are. I was going to ask you another question and I am going to ask it, but I'm going to answer it first. Okay. Question. That question is to share one or two intentional conversations that really caught you a bit off guard. Oh, God, now you're really and, putting me on the spot. <laughs> Keep talking. Give me a chance to think well, that through. I'm going to answer it first okay. because it builds right on what you were saying. I never would have thought of this when I was inside corporate America 
with someone that I reported to. But I have had several of my younger clients say, I want to talk to my boss about the fact that I am unhappy in my job. I want to talk to my boss about supporting me moving elsewhere in the organization, or even I want to talk to my boss about moving out of the organization. I want to talk to my boss about the fact that I'm interviewing for jobs elsewhere. That has really been an interesting challenge for me because we have real ethics that guide us as coaches that peers or bosses and spouses and partners and friends don't have. So my job is not to guide you to protect yourself because that's what I would do. My job is to help you be successful in the path that you choose. And so really helping people think through how they have that intentional conversation with their boss that says, this is not working for me. And I respect and trust you enough that I want your support in finding what will work successfully for me. Yeah, there's so many iterations to that scenario. You know, as you were talking, my mind was racing about coming up with an example. And it's really weird that most of my uh, work ends up having an element of career counseling and career coaching. And I did that long ago as an academic, did it in corporate. And certainly I have to always maintain the perspective that my client is the organization. They're paying the bill. My immediate client is the person I'm working with. So that is... I think as a manager or as a coach, that becomes very important to recognize. As a manager, your boss is the organization. You are dependent on the folks who work for you and with you to get the job done. So you have a certain degree of commitment, conviction to their success, but ultimately you're still responsible to the organization. And middle managers sit right in the crunch in the middle. So do coaches, because we have to be very conscious about what kinds of positions we're taking. To support a client in their career Reflection, I think, is perfectly fine. To encourage, to aid, to abet them to get out, to give them career coach, to give them contacts, I think that steps across the line. So there's certain things that I think we can and can't do in a coaching relationship and as a manager because we basically serve at least two masters, the individual we're coaching and the organization within which we're working. I had to put that out there because that's contextual to any answer. So I, I, I can remember one client who was happy doing what he was doing. He had a terrible relationship with his manager. He had non-existent relationships with his peers. His folks idolized him as a god. And I'm thinking, this guy's creating his own little silo in which he's working in his own world, and he's not, he's not beholden to anybody. And he has all kinds of good reasons why that's true. Finally, his boss left. I was celebrating. I mean, that was my agenda. I'm celebrating. And he had avoided having conversations with his previous boss about what we were talking about. So it wasn't going anywhere. It was just kind of circling the wagon and doing the same thing over again. He got a new boss. This changed the whole environment. All of a sudden, I could help him get ready to have really tough conversations that he'd always been afraid to have. So the intentional conversation thinking in my head was to build his courage that he can survive. He's got a new manager. Why does he need to engage her? Why do I have to talk to her? Why does he have to involve her? What's her value in his career? 
And he had shared with me a whole bunch of career ideas that he had, but he never would have voiced them to his previous manager, never would have voiced them to the CEO, just kept them quiet and talked to me about it. Well, all of a sudden, what's really cool is all of these great dreams and fantasies and ideas he had, he started to share that with his new boss. And we're not working together because our time together ended, but we left, he had a clear sense of where he wanted to go. He knew what kinds of conversations he should be having with his boss. We laid them out. We created a greater feeling of intentionality. And she loved it because she saw this guy blossoming. And he was blossoming. So it's kind of a, it's not a perfect example. I got a lot of other examples of folks who were, you know, I've got this one guy who I talked to yesterday. I mean, you know, he's a manager, but he doesn't manage people. He just got promoted. That's what he wanted. And so he and I talked about having that conversation with his boss. And he did. And then he interviewed for the job and he got the job. He admitted that if he hadn't had the courage to have the conversation, he might not have gotten that promotion. So a lot of this whole notion of coaching and managing people is finding their courage and giving them the confidence that they can act on it the words they can use to express it, because in many ways they're afraid to express it in words. They don't know what words to use. So the coaching helps them build the confidence and the competence in having conversations that are difficult, but they're clearly intentional. And it's really great when you work for a manager who believes in your career. You're kind of already aligned. If my intention is to talk about my career and my boss believes in it and the organization has a process that supports it, like this, I always ask people, does your company have a career development process? Do you have a development planning process? Do you do performance management? Because if they have the things in place, I help people see that those are actually accelerants for their conversation. If they're not in place, that's tougher because they don't, they're not working in a culture that supports that kind of stuff. But if they are, I help people see the benefit when they usually, most people just brush aside those practices. I want to go back to something that you said at the start of this particular piece of the conversation, because I see it very differently. Yes, client organization is the ultimate client. Yes, they are paying the bill. But if Harris is quiet quitting, he's not engaging, he's not bringing his best self to work because he doesn't want to be there. My perspective is that both Harris and the client organization are better served by helping him acknowledge that and step out. As a human being, I totally agree with you because I do believe people need to be someplace where they feel they can add value and where they feel they're getting their satisfaction, um, their joy, all that. It's a tough one, but part of what I know I do with folks in order to maintain my commitment to the organization and my, my contract with the organization, I work real hard to help them get great clarity about what they want. And if it's not in the organization, then I will find ways to help them have conversations with people who could help them achieve what they want to achieve. Sometimes it's their manager. Sometimes it's a mentor. It's a colleague from outside to at least give them a chance to explore, to take stock if they really don't like their work or if there's something else that's keeping them unhappy or holding them back. And maybe it's the work, but maybe it's the job. So we do a lot of analysis of where is your dissatisfaction coming from? Because I don't like the idea of people jumping. Uh, that's my own personal philosophy. I've jumped to myself and I'd like to know, you know, why people want to jump and what they're looking for. And not to be, I'm not going to get political, but there was a really interesting segment on Saturday Night Live a number of years ago when people were talking about and being satirical about the Y generation and was a scene at work. And one of the actors goes to her boss and she said, I, I just don't know why. 
why I'm not promoted. When are you going to promote me? And the boss says, well, you've been in the job for a month. I said, yeah. When am I going to get promoted? And he said, well, let's have this conversation. You know, next week she goes, oh, I can't. I'm going on vacation. Wait, you've been here a month. You're going on vacation and you want a promotion. Why? And all she could say is, because I believe I deserve it. And I watched that and I, I roared. I laughed. I said, okay. But at that point, not that this is SNL when we do coaching, but it's really important to understand what's behind these requests, what's behind the dissatisfaction. That's where, as a coach or as a manager, you've got to listen at multiple levels. And you've got to understand the context and you've got to understand their aspirations because clearly they have a goal. They're not getting there. And if I, as a coach, can help them achieve their goal, that's great. If it's at odds with the organization, again, because I find myself constrained in what I can tell the organization, I encourage my clients to be as open as possible with someone there, whether it's their boss or their HR folks, someone. And have someone know what's going on. I think you and I are more closely aligned on that than it sounded to me when you brought the topic up. Well, yeah, because I recognize the two forces, but it doesn't mean that you go one way or the other. It's a choice that we make as a coach. Yes, and I also think you made a very important point there. I'm very thoughtful. I was this way as a manager, as a leader, and now as a coach, that I want people going towards something, right? not away from something. Right. I mean, that goes back to the initial thing I said, when I think about intentional conversations, what are you trying to achieve? Well, in order to know that, you have to know what you want to, what's out there. What's your purpose? What's your focus? What's your agreement you want? What are your expectations? You know, so for each of us to have a pretty clear sense of the answers to those questions helps us have intentional conversations. I worked at IBM and I worked for some really interesting people. And one of them insisted, head of our HR group, insisted that every meeting, whether it's one-on-one between you and me, Brian, or between teams, we all had to have a pal. And we all laughed. We HR community rolled their eyes. Oh, what is this? It's just some cute little mnemonic. A pal is go into a conversation with a purpose, an agenda, and what's the L? That's the length of time you're going to commit. And I st- we all had to do. He, he, he mandated we all do this in HR, so we all did. And what I found is the discipline helped me get clearer and not waste people's time, help them know what we were going to talk about. And if I issued it in advance, people came prepared to either join me in the conversation or earlier on before the conversation, they would say, can we shift it around? I don't think that's really what we're trying to achieve. So it created a greater sense of intentionality. And what I think most of us loved about it, it helped us allocate our time better. Harris, what else is important about intentional conversations? I'm looking back at the notes and kind of going through my head. What else? I use the term time, but time for, for me, it's not so much about the clock. It's about how much attention are you putting into something? Are you asking other people to put into it? So when you think about what you want to achieve and how you want to conduct your meetings or your conversations or your discussions, think about the attention you want people to bring. And when I think about that, it tells me for any kind of intentional conversation, I need to make sure that I inform people and that I engage with them because having conversations that have clear intent, clear purpose is one way for people to learn to trust you. It builds their trust in you, your reputation as a leader, as someone who can be believed. When I think about intentional conversations, it kind of gets lost as just kind of, oh, that's just a fad conversation. I see it as grounded in trust and context and all of us have personal choices. We can choose to waste people's time or we can choose to help them invest it in doing something that matters. And when you talk about 
having intention, having that purpose, letting people know ahead of time what that is. It brings up a couple of thoughts in my mind. First, anyone who has worked for an hour or more in any corporate environment has gotten that email or that voicemail or that text message saying, we need to talk (laughs) with no context. Or in school, Uh, see me. The other thing is when we think about the diversity of our population, introverts coming into a meeting with an unknown purpose are unlikely that's deadly to actively participate right. so purpose agenda and how much are we willing to invest well you raise the point that successful conversations we have a lot of unsuccessful successful ones take into account the person you're talking with i didn't say two with so if you go into conversations truly as a kind of a co-creative collaborative experience part of getting ready for it for me is knowing who am I talking to? Are they a person of color? Are they a man? Are they a woman? What are the assumptions I've got to put in the background because I don't want them to contaminate the interaction? So having intentional conversations really does require a lot more homework. Fortunately, our minds can process faster than our mouths, so we can adjust and adapt. But I do think knowing who you're talking to, knowing your audience is just as important as knowing the content, scheduling the right meeting, and putting out an agenda because you've got to be sensitive and respectful to them. If you want to achieve something with them. That's not like issuing an order and saying, go process this thing. You know, you may not need to do as much, you know, pre-planning for that. We had an intentional conversation here, Harris, and I think we met our intent. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Be well.